This is Black Lines and Billables, a podcast about legal technology and innovation and law firm associate success and development. I'm your host, Christian Lang. So the last few months have been a bit wild, both with lots of travel and also some fun developments on new projects. We'll share some of those with you in the future, but I'm excited to share one with you now. I recently launched a new blog. It's called Deal Tech, and it's focused on mapping the landscape of transactional legal technology, or legal tech for deal lawyers. Since I first entered the legal tech scene a couple of years ago, I've I've been frustrated by how difficult it can be to get a good lay of the land and have a sense for what companies and tools are out there and who's doing what. And even when you find a good list, such as the one compiled by Bob Ambrogi over at Law Sites, it often includes all of the companies trying to play in the legal space, whereas I was always interested in knowing which products and services the serious law firms and corporate legal departments are actually using today, and then having some way to compare basic information about the competing tools all in one place. So I decided to launch DealTech. We're starting with a series of product profiles of best-in-class legal tech solutions that are generated by companies responding to a survey that we've put together. It's not going to be everything you ever wanted to know about a company or a tool, but it's hopefully a good one-pager that helps prospective customers take their first look at the best players in a particular legal tech segment and make a decision about which tools warrant a closer look. If people like what we're doing, we may expand to have commentary, product reviews, and other types of content. The URL is dealtech.io, so go have a look and tell us what you think. We kick things off with some profiles of some of the most interesting companies and products in the market today, in my opinion, including Doxley, Kira Systems, Law Geeks, and Closing Folders. And we got a bunch more in the pipeline. So if you're interested in legal tech for deal lawyers, bookmark the blog, sign up for the newsletter, follow us on social media, whatever your preferred way to follow. Anyway, I'm thrilled to be back at the mic and in the podcast saddle to bring you folks some new episodes of Black Lines and Billables, starting with a fascinating interview I recorded a couple of months ago with Nick West, the Chief Technology Officer of Mishkondorea and Director of MDR Lab. As you'll hear in the interview, Nick and Mishkon are running an incredibly interesting incubation program for legal tech startups out of Mishkon's offices in London. I'm particularly excited to share the interview with you because it'll provide an interesting perspective from the other side of the pond on the questions we explored in our blog post from last summer called Law Firm VC, Law Firms Launching Legal Tech Incubators, Accelerators, and Venture Arms, in our previous chat with Dan Jansen from Next Law Labs, now Next Law Ventures, delving into the motivations for law firms getting involved in venture activities in this space more generally. So without further ado, let's dive right into my interview with Nick. Nick, let's start by telling our listeners a little bit about you and how you came into your current role at Mishcon. Sure. Gosh. Uh, so I, I'm a former lawyer, a recovering lawyer, and uh, I started life at, at Linklaters uh, some 20 years ago. But I decided pretty quickly that practicing law wasn't for me. And through a few different roles, uh, found myself in much more of a technology strategy kind of space. So I, I spent a few years at McKinsey. I spent a few years at LexisNexis, both in here in London and over in the US. Uh, and then I uh, ran Axiom in the UK. Um, and then in 2016, I joined Mishkon Dorea uh, as our strategy, uh, chief strategy officer. And that has actually broadened out into a broader technology role. Um, and I guess, you know, many listeners won't be familiar with, with Mishcon. We are a, um, 
essentially a, a London office firm. We have a very, very small New York office. We're mostly a, a litigation firm. We, we have some other practices, but 70% plus of what we do is, is litigation. And we're a firm uh, which is going to become more important for this for this podcast. We're a firm that's very interested in how technology is changing the world and, and the practice of law. And so uh, from from my background with law, tech and strategy, it's a, it's a great place to be. That's great background. And it's a great segue to our next question, which is just tell, tell our listeners a little bit about MDR Lab. What is it? Where did it come from? How is it structured? Yeah, sure. So what it is, is a, a legal tech incubator. Um, you know, we just stole the incubator type concept and idea that's existed around the world for the last few years uh, and tried to apply it uh, in, in our world. Um, so what that really means is that every year, uh, and we're on year two here, so I, I can't claim, uh, I can't claim decades of experience, but, you know, we, uh, we, we open for applications uh, and applications are currently open for, for our year two cohort. People apply, we, we narrow down and have a sort of big pitch day. And finally, we select a group of companies who have an interest in coming to work in our office for, for, 10 weeks. And that gives them the opportunity to work side by side with lawyers and business professionals in order to create or improve a a legal tech product. Um, So it's a a co-working experience where our lawyers uh, are getting to see the development of a piece of technology and 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 a tech company is getting real live access to users on a you know hour by hour day by day basis to improve get feedback ask questions do design work whatever they want to do uh, and they get the benefit of working in our office um, so they get access to our tech team uh, to understand how to integrate their products into our stack or, or they get to work with our marketing team to work out how to position themselves in the market best and, and so on and we really take in people who are going to be pretty early stage. Um, last year, we had uh, a company who literally had an idea and, and nothing more than that. And we helped them really frame that idea correctly. And they've now raised a seed round and are building that product. And we had all the way through to, to companies that had a couple of million dollars of revenue and really wanted to come into the lab to try to perfect a product or add new features or target the legal industry when in fact they had previously been targeting others. It's really interesting to me that you guys are willing to take idea stage companies in addition to established companies. And maybe when we begin talking about funding opportunities, we can circle back and talk about how that structure maps on. And it's great to hear more about how the program is actually set up. It sounds very valuable for a lot of reasons, but primarily something that we touched on in the piece that we referenced at the top of the at the top of the podcast. I feel like it's particularly difficult in legal tech because the technologists and the people who are designing products don't often have robust firm backgrounds themselves, and they also don't have good access to people who are actually doing the job in the trenches. So there's this gulf that separates the two things that are necessary components to great products, the technological expertise to build something, and also the, the domain expertise to know how that tech expertise should be brought to bear in the right way. And it sounds like your model is an incredibly valuable one, giving technologists and entrepreneurs meaningful access to lawyers. 
Talk to us a little bit about where this came from. What was the firm's motivation? How did this come to be? So the, the, the genesis was um, actually a little bit of work that was done before I arrived at the beginning of 2016, really about Mishcon's 10-year plan. Uh, and that is not some formal kind of document, uh, you know, uh, military plan, but it is a sense of where is the firm going? Um, the firm has had a really successful last 10 years um, and has turned itself from being a, uh, a, a well-respected uh, small London business into a, a you know, a, a much broader known international complex commercial disputes firm uh, that really has the power to, uh, to, to, to get brought into big disputes work. And, and it's done a really nice job from a business perspective. And so it started to ask itself the question, where are we going to be in 10 more years time? Um, you know, good, far reaching thinking. And a bunch of uh, four or five big themes came out of that work. And one of them was technology. And to some extent, if 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 uh, if any company now is looking forward and hasn't got technology on that list, you know, you've got to ask some questions. But the, the the point they were making, the firm was making, was technology is changing the world around us, and that impacts very heavily on our clients and the clients' expectation of us. What are we going to do about that? Um, and part of the answer is, well, we're going to make sure that we educate our people about technology and the technologies that are shaping the world, uh, whether those are you know, big data, AI, blockchain, you know, pick your poison. Uh, or, uh, and in addition, we're going to think about how we operate as a business uh, because our consumer experiences have been fundamentally changed by the devices that we hold in our hands permanently, uh, you know, our ability to get access to data um, and our ability to get access to, um, you know, information on the fly. We expect now that I can look up the weather in Timbuktu and know when my next bus is arriving and when Amazon's going to deliver a parcel to me. I know about it. You know, I know when it's in, tra in transit. I know when it's arrived. And, you know, those are experiences. Those are expectations that we are um, that we've now become accustomed to. And so you start to ask the question: Well, what's the experience like in legal? And it's nothing like that. A, a quick interjection, Nick. Why is it? Do you think that legal is so far behind? What is it that depresses innovation in the legal space versus? not only the consumer spaces, but potentially other enterprise spaces? That, that is a question. Um, you know, I, I, there's loads of ways to answer that. The first is enterprise is behind consumer, right? So let's, let's not pretend this is just a legal thing. Most people would explain that most people would claim that their experience of tech at work is not as good as their experience of tech at home. Uh, and then in, within that, in the enterprise life, uh, legal, why is legal behind? Well, because it's a risk averse um, industry where, um, you know, artisans have been able to charge for many, many years for their knowledge and, uh, and, and, and get away with, with a, a, a particular model of client service. And, and, you know, the, the events of the last 10, 15, 20 years are starting to cause change. Uh, I, I think, um, 
you know, when when 10 years ago, the, the, there was a big financial crash and, and finally GC budgets were under pressure um, for the first time ever, then, you know, that's led to us a whole sort of uh, a whole chain of events that is now rippling through and clients are no longer saying, yeah, it's OK for you to charge me like that. It's OK to, to, for you to serve me like that. They're, they're starting to just become more demanding. And I think then as a law firm, you have you have a choice and you can either say, you know, we'll, we'll be an organization that uh, changes as our clients kind of force us to, or we're going to be an organization that tries to get somewhat ahead of that. You know, no law firm in the world is going to be some sort of world-class technology organization, you know, in the true definition of the word. It's, 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 you don't need it to be, that's not one of your core competencies. But at the same time, you can be an organization that says, you know what, tech is important to us. Uh, we understand that you are expecting something different and we want to get out in front of that to a degree. Um, and that's frankly what we chose to do. Um, and um, we've chosen to say we'd like to be known for being uh, somewhat technologically advanced. And, and that has a number of things. You know, I think about it, you know, in, 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 in under both the sort of practice and business of law. It means our lawyers using tools to do their job better and practice law better. And it means us as a firm using tools to serve our clients better. Um, and I think it's very easy to jump, and I, I, I suspect we might spend a bit more time on this, it's very easy to jump to uh, everything therefore has to mean lawyers using artificial intelligence technology to whatever search uh, piles of documents better. But I, I don't just think it's that. I think it's using all sorts of technology to do things effectively, uh, you know, fast, effective, better than they would do if they were doing them in, in human ways. All this story lies at the heart of 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 the of of why we did MDR Lab. And I'll, let me jump to that bit. I think this 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 feeling that we wanted to be one of the people in the top quartile, in the top decile of of, of technology in in the legal world led us to say, okay, what are we going to do about that? And and it, it's you know on the one hand. Um, it's all very well me and other, a few other people standing up every so often and shouting, hey, we should be good at tech. But in truth, what we wanted to try and achieve was much more of a, a culture change within Mishcon. We wanted to get our lawyers believing that tech could improve how they worked, how they serve clients, so that they went out into their worlds and told their clients, hey, you know what? We don't just litigate well because we're smart we've got good people we've got a great reputation we litigate well because we do some things differently we're, we're a bit more tech advanced than the next law firm um, and if i was going to get people to believe that i think we needed to do a few things that were a little bit different from the norm and that's where the whole story of mdr lab came from uh you know to to, to be a law firm who's yeah, taking a few risks and bringing in some early stage companies and 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 putting them in our office for a period of time. Um, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I think it gives us some really early access to some interesting technologies. But on the other hand, and probably more important, it's it's starting to really change our lawyers and our business professionals' perspective on on what 
technology is and what it can do. So that that in a very long and lengthy way, apologies, but that's the story of, of why we started to, to, to launch MDR Lab. No, that's, that's great to understand. You just gave me a, a partial answer to this question, but why this model? So we've seen firms, and I, I think the most recent announcement was Auric, which had set up some sort of internal innovation lab. But from the outside, it looks a little bit similar to what Davis Wright Tremaine is doing with their DWT De Novo initiative and what Brian Cave is doing with their TechX, which is to put together internal technology departments that are trying to incubate proprietary technology and solutions to help facilitate their firm's practices. And other firms like yours and like Next Law Labs at Denton's are taking a different approach. They're taking externally developed solutions, though not exclusively in Next Law Labs' case, and, and bringing in entrepreneurs doing something on the outside, bringing them into your world and giving them access to your people. So why this model? Why the traditional incubator slash startup model as opposed to hiring a few good technologists internally and trying to create proprietary solutions, for example? Um, I think it's. I think that's a lot harder than it sounds. So you know, I spent many years at LexisNexis, um, and I ran a product development team for for four years of that, and we had responsibility for a number of the platforms that our customers used. Uh, you know, in some cases, doing um, thousands of sessions a day, and it is not easy to build technology that works at scale and. Uh, and 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 has uh, you know does what it is expected to do with very little downtime. Um, I think it's a lot easier to say than it is to do, and I think most organisations massively underappreciate that. And so I'm not excited about building technology that we don't need to build. Um, there are going to be some things that we will, and there'll be some things that are integrations, and there'll be some little widgets and apps that we say, hey, there's a real mishcon flavor of something we do and there's no way we're going to be able to um buy that off the shelf uh so at that point you know i'm not that excited about going to pay an external consulting shop to build it perhaps then i would consider building it with my own dev team but i think what i'm looking for are products that are are you know scalable products that essentially go to the heart of let's just pick how you practice law or how you litigate you know there are mishkondorea does not necessarily do unique things for the majority of what it does in how it practices law um it it does it follows good tried and tested models of how to practice law what i want to do is find out what are the best technologies out there i want to be um, ambitious in how we join some of those things together and how we equip our lawyers with some of those tools and um, and that I think you know is 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 uh, the, the right way to do that is to go out there and, and find them and I, I, I kind of think in in terms of my external market kind of behaviors I think in three horizons I think of there's a bunch of tools that we already use in the firm. Um, and we may have longstanding relationships with some of those tools and, and we're constantly looking at what they're doing and how they're developing their software. And sometimes we change horses and whatever. Um, that's horizon one. Horizon two are the kind of technologies that are emerging. Um, and it, it may be that they're emerging because they're a new class of technology, machine learning, 
or it may be that they're just emerging because they're a young company. You know, they're not applying it. They're not doing anything brilliant technologically, but they're doing something nice and simple, doing it effectively. And they're just a, you know, a young company bringing a nice idea into a space. Um, and then the third horizon is the kind of, um, you know, emerging technologies. They're really unproven yet. So, Let's again, let me talk about natural language processing, machine learning technologies, which, yes, are good at doing some things so far. And, and there's a lot more potential scope. But a lot of that stuff really still sits out in university space, academia, where some of these interesting ideas are still being explored. So I think about these sort of three horizons of technology and um, the lab really strikes on number two for me. It's it's the I'm looking at technologies and that 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 you know are nascent now or emerging now um and that could be uh, we could be using in our firm in the next 6 to 24 months and i you know i'm constantly on the lookout for those and 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 how do i find them and bring them in and get to really get under the skin of uh of of what those technologies do and what those businesses uh, you know who the people are involved right because i think if i'm going to when you make these decisions about which technologies to 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 back um and i don't mean that in an investment way let me change my wording there when you when you make a decision about which technologies that you're going to uh work with you're going to partner with of course you're always thinking about their um their sustainability um you know is this i don't want to get all of my litigators using product x only to have that business fold in in six months time because you know that would be a real pain in the ass right so um i i you know so 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 the lab gives me an opportunity to call to the market and say hey who's got some interesting tech right we are mishcon we do this kind of work if you think that you've got tech that would help us in our work, we'd love to hear from you. And then there's a sort of next step, which is, by the way, you're only going to get accepted into the lab if you've got a reason to be in the lab, right? If, if what you want to do is get us to trial your product, then let's have a product trial, proof of concept conversation. If you are trying to develop something, if you're trying to understand uh uh, you know how how your technology might work in some other way. Let's talk about the lab. So let me give you an example. Last year, one of our companies was Evercron. Evercron is a litigation case management and uh, collaboration tool, and it's a you know it, it has even by the time it came to Mishcon in in sort of early part of 2017, it had a couple of dozen maybe more users. Uh, law firm users, but they'd never done anything in the UK. And so the purpose of getting into the lab was, hey, we don't really understand UK litigation. And whilst we've got a pretty well-formed product, we'd love to try and understand what changes, if any, we'd need to make to attack the UK market. That's a great example of why, why come into the lab. Because if there were no differences between the UK and the US market, I'd have said, well, you don't need to be in our lab, right? You just We just need to trial your product. Um, and so... I've made this call to the market, you know, people apply, we then get an opportunity to select some companies. And as we bring them into the lab, we're both on the one hand assessing their product and product fit, but we're also assessing their company. We're also saying, hey, how do we feel about these guys? 
And we get to know the people that are in a lab incredibly well, right? They spend, one of our prerequisites is you spend the 10 weeks on site. There's no remote participation. I know that's good old fashioned stuff, but that's how it is, right? Um, And last year we had two American firms, one Indian, one German, and two British firms, uh, two British companies. And, uh, and, and, you know, they were all on site for, for 10 weeks. And through that, they're getting, and there's there some other reasons why on-site matters to do with their ability to flex schedules, you know, as and when lawyers inevitably kind of cancel their meetings and so on and so forth. Um, you know, under the pressure of client, the client calls and says, hey, I need you to do this now. And of course, the lawyer then cancels whatever meeting they've got with the startup. Uh, and if you're not on-site, you can't just kind of quickly uh, adjust schedules. But you know, when you when they're on site and when you work with them for, for 10 weeks, you really get to know the people. And then you start to make a view on whether this is a company that their product fits, the teams like using them. It's a great idea, it's a great experience. They integrate well with our stack. And you know what? I believe they've got a chance of being commercially successful. And that's important to me so that I don't find myself uh, you know, six months down the line thinking, mm, you know, we, we chose a, a lemon here. And I've got no guarantee that will happen. They, they may well, you know, we may pick, we may pick badly. Uh, and if so, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll choose again. But, uh, you know, all this thinking is going into, in, into, into what the lab's about and, and, and you know, why, um, why do I think I should go to external organizations and bring them in rather than necessarily sort of, uh, you know, build it ourselves? Interesting. Um, tell us a little bit more about the first cohort uh, and the ongoing relationship, if any, between Mishcon and those MDR Lab companies. And maybe as part of this answer, you can touch on the relationship between Mishcon and L Marks that I that I understand exists on the funding side. Yeah. So, um, so the first cohort, six companies. Uh, I mentioned the sort of geographical split there: two from the US, two from the UK. And uh, one from Germany, one from 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 India. Um, you know, we we had uh, companies that were focused on uh, contract analysis, companies focused on ultra secure communications, um, companies focused on, or a company I should say, focused. One company, really cool company, focused on. Um, a new way of doing diligence on real estate assets, really sort of bringing satellite imagery to bear. So there's a company called Orbital Witness that it was the, you know, we, you mentioned earlier on, you know, a surprise that I said about concept. Well, Orbital Witness was a company that was founded in March of 2017 and came into our lab in, in, in May of 2017. <laughs> and uh, they literally turned up with an idea and their idea was lawyers have to go and and, and understand an awful lot of information about a real estate asset. And during that process, they often use Google Earth and various other things to get an understanding of the of the of the of the asset. And that is fundamentally flawed because Google Earth imagery can be years out of date and you've got no way of knowing the provenance when in fact we can bring the latest satellite imagery, we can bring um all sorts of timelines of images. So if you wanted to go and see how the 
imagery had changed between 2012 and 2017. Look, here it is on a slider view. You can just click through different dates and we can, a bit like the sort of Wayback Machine helps you see how a website has changed. You know, it can do that with imagery. So if you were in a situation where you were trying to understand a boundary dispute and you could then see the date on which the boundary changed or roughly focused down and you could really look at it or, you know, and then we, what we what they're doing now is they're layering all sorts of different layers on and and i i'm gonna get myself into some sort of knots here between the the way the u.s real estate and uk real estate works but we have something called the land registry which is the sort of which is the official uh land boundaries in the uk and there are what we call different pieces of title and uh, and you can lay all these boundaries on top of each other. You can start to build up different layers on a map with satellite imagery and various other things, and all sorts of information kind of displayed on the map. And and you know that's a, it did a really nice job. Uh, you know that, that that that's a that's a really new perspective on how a lawyer might do um, you know a bunch of a bunch of diligence. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, is that is that something they built out during the program itself, during the ten weeks, or or was it built out subsequent to the program? So what they did in the program was came in with an idea, validated and changed the idea, did a whole bunch of design sprints to uh, do a bunch of sort of paper paper based uh, wireframes, built some clickable prototypes, and you know went through rounds of validation. And at the end of the program, they had uh, they had some clickable prototypes. Um, and then what's happened since is we helped them with some personal connections to raise a small seed round, and they're using that seed money to uh, to build the first working product. So they're sort of MVP. Um, so that's what they did. And then, you know, I consciously asked me about the, the cohort. There's a couple of other stories which lead us on to the investment point. And there were two companies, actually both US companies, one called Ping and one called Evercron. I've mentioned Evercron already. Evercron is a, um, a case management and collaboration tool for litigators to use. It helps organized case materials and materials about witnesses in a very easy cloud-based cloud-based platform for litigators and their uh, fellow um you know uh fellow professionals working on a matter to use and uh you know that that's the kind of thing that um it's 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 a beautiful ui it's really easy to use it's the kind of thing that our lawyers immediately jumped on and said wow right now i i i'm forced to use our document management system as the collection vessel for a bunch of documentation but here's what's wrong with that that the dms is a is a essentially a a compliance tool right it's to make sure that every document we've got a record of but that doesn't help me with the fact that of the of the however many documents on this case there are 30 50 500 1000 that we come back to time and time and time again and i need a much more effective way of being able to collaborate on those coupled with the fact that for almost every law firm in the world still the 
the documents are still on-prem, right? You know, there are a few right. people who are now embracing cloud, but for most people, these documents are on-prem. So it's very difficult for me to collaborate on them, you know, uh, in the same way that we would do on a Google Doc with some comments on the document and so on and so forth. So that Evercon provides all of that stuff. Um, right. And as I mentioned earlier, well, one of the great things about Evercon is, you know, they came in to validate some what was needed for the UK market. And we, you know, a good, a good fun thing that we did in that, um, in that process was Offair and the team at Evercon started to realize that over here we had, we, we tended to see an awful lot more foreign language documents, uh, the nature of our practice, but also the fact that, you know, part of Europe, we just see more multilingual documents. And so as part of the work we did in the lab, we, you know, we started to explore how do people get those documents translated and, uh, and, 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 uh, how do you do it? When do people incorrectly use Google Translate and they really shouldn't? And when do people send it out to a translator and so on and so forth? And so we, we, you know, Evercon during the lab effectively added an auto translate feature calling out via API to a, a translation service. So that was almost a feature that by the end of the lab was ready to ship. It actually shipped, you know, a few weeks after the lab sort of post, uh, post testing and so on. Um, and then the final one I talk about would be Ping. Ping is a machine learning technology for what well, automation and machine learning technology for time recording. You know, one of my bugbears about the whole legal tech space is that everyone jumps straight to the new, the newfangled problems and, and so on. In truth, there are loads of there are loads of things that lawyers do on a day to day basis that are done really inefficiently and, 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 and could be significantly improved. And recording time is clearly one of those things, right? Nobody likes to record time. Uh, and yet um, there's all sorts of tracking software that exists that in theory could be, you could you can easily see how if a lawyer is sitting on their computer, it can't be beyond the wit of man to create a tool that tracks what the user is doing and starts to create timeline entries for that for a time recording system and that is what ping is doing ping is using uh, a bunch of integrations to say i know you've been on the phone to this number and i know that this number because of your crm tool is linked to this matter and therefore i can effectively start to create a timeline and i can do that with various other tasks that you do during the course of the day and then what i'm going to do on top of that is i'm going to use some machine learning kind of technology to to take the narrative i'm going to try and automate the narrative that goes with that particular task because if i know you're working on a word document called um you know nick west deposition i'm gonna under I, I know that that's probably the narrative the narrative is drafting nick west deposition and then i'm going to be able to start using a machine learning a machine learning kind of uh, model to say well that is a task code x under the time recording task codes, which in the UK we now call J codes, right? So it's going to start to do some of the capture, automation, and classification of all of those kind of things uh, to really try and cut down on the amount of time that lawyers have to spend time recording, and with it, hopefully, capture more time, uh, improve the accuracy of, of, of time, and so on. And so, um, you know, these are the kind of examples that you know, they came into the lab with. Uh, you know, half of a 
uh, you know, a few a few features of their product built out, and they spent uh, a lot of the time really building out other components and trying to start to knit them together to show us by the end of the lab that actually their idea was real. That in our environment, a lawyer, you know, on demo day of our lab, they really did have one of our lawyers standing. Uh, doing a couple of tasks on screen and we saw live that the ping app captured those tasks and started to put them into an automated timeline um which is pretty cool it was it had a good sort of visual effect on people those are the kind of things we did and in fact you know the 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 last two of those evercon and ping are companies that we have then gone on to invest in um and uh, uh you know which is a pretty interesting pretty interesting part of this story right you know and we are not in this incubator primarily for investment. Um, that is not, we are not, you know, you, you, in your introduction, you talked about this being a sort of venture. Um, uh, you know, we're not a venture capital firm. We're not out there to find investments. If we find companies we like who we think are successful and we think are going to be good for us, but also will be good for the rest of the organization, uh, rest of the industry, sorry, then, uh, then we're happy to put money to work there. Um, and you know, Mishcon has got a pretty good history of of uh, making some investments in businesses. We are a, an alternative business structure in the UK, which means that we can both uh, we've got the sort of uh, it's it's this kind of structure that exists that allows non legal. Uh, allows a legal business to take on money from outside, uh, take on external capital, but also allows the business to invest in others. So it kind of provides a degree of flexibility, makes it look a little bit more like a normal organization, uh, and yet still within the regulatory framework that is required to be a well-run law firm. Uh, so um, you know, so Mishcon was one, is one of the relatively few organizations that has taken the jump to become one of these alternative business structures. And as a result of it, we have done a few things. We've spun out a few companies over the years. We have a, an e-disclosure, e-discovery business, which is a standalone entity. We have a cybersecurity business. Uh, we have a couple of other things. And so the lab framework allows us to make some investments in companies that we think are going to be successful. Um, but I think it's not our primary purpose for doing this. And that is, that's where we differ a little bit from, from Nextlaw Labs. Um, you know, which is a little bit more about here's a fund, let's put the money to work. We're a bit less about that. We're a bit more about let's try and change our culture. Let's try and find some interesting technologies. And by the way, if we find some, we will invest. Awesome. So uh, a, a lot of great stuff in there, including a couple of good segues to other questions I wanted to ask you about the legal tech landscape more broadly. The first one, and and you were talking a little bit about this when you were discussing Ping and what you liked about Ping and the fact that it's very tethered to the everyday needs of practicing lawyers as opposed to some cutting-edge technology that's just sexy and let's throw a bunch of money at it because that's blockchain in the title, those, those sorts of efforts. What's your current take on the existing legal tech landscape and where it's going? And in particular, maybe can you give me an example of something that you're very excited about or interested in on the legal tech landscape? And if you're up for it, I would also love an example of something on the legal tech landscape that you think others are particularly interested in or excited about that you yourself are not that interested in. Ooh, 
Well, I mean, I, there's a, that's a good question. It's, uh, you know, I, I can find some good answers. But I think, yeah, that point that you just kind of played back to me, I, you know, I really can't stress it enough. You know, for, for any listeners out there who are thinking about where do I focus, there are so many things that lawyers do um, and are forced to use really poor technology. Um, you know, I may... You know, maybe I, I don't mean that the technology itself is bad, but the user experience is really pretty poor. Um, and I think there are so many places that, um, that, that, that entrepreneurs can focus. And, you know, you alluded right at the beginning of the show, something to do with, you know, getting the domain expertise and the technology together. You know, that, that is a proven recipe for success, right? And so many successful startups, uh, or so many successful businesses as in their startup phase were the combination of domain expert and technologist. Um, you know, I think for, for listeners out there who are interested, particularly those who have been in practice and they say, you know what, I hated doing X. I wish there was an app that allowed me to do Y. Um, there are, you know, you, you have to think very carefully about the scalability and commercial, you know, potential for commercial success of these things. Um, because I see an awful lot of people come and talk to me about things that you think, wow, interesting, but can't see how that could be ever be, you know, more than a, a you know, a couple of hundred users. Um, but, uh, but there are so many of those things. What I, you know, my, my, the, the big, the big bugbear I have is that everybody wants to rush to the new thing rather than fix the many, many problems that, that are out there already. Um, you know, how lawyers spend their days talking on a phone, sending emails, creating documents, printing documents, uh, what, you know, these are the things that they do day in, day out, you know, hour in, hour out and, and using some really fancy tech to do a task. Yeah. It comes along once in a while, but it's not what they do, you know, all the time and, and, you know, creating the, creating the stack, creating the set of apps that they can use and that they would love to use all day, every day. Um, that I think is a, you know, is a, is a thing that, that, that really needs more focus. Um, having said that, what am I, what, what am I excited about? Um, um, I, gosh, I don't know. I, it's hard. I don't get that excited about many things. I have to say, um, yeah, maybe that's my cynical Britishness. Um, I think, um, I, you know, an area that I have real, uh, uh, let me answer the questions. Let me ask a slightly different question. An area that I really focus on a lot because of our litigation, uh, leaning is around early case assessment. Um, and, you know, I think for me, the thesis and, you know, to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing, the thesis goes something like this. Um, uh, litigation is becoming as much about information management as anything else. You know, it's, it's been that way for a while. But, you know, when you explain it to clients, you know, the importance of us being able to identify and then organize and manage the correct sets of data through a piece of litigation is more important than ever as the data sets get bigger. Um, there are plenty of tools and techniques and service companies that can help us with the large-scale disclosure exercises, discovery exercises. Um, but in those early days and weeks of the case, when you're trying to build the story and you're trying to really figure out what's important and what's not important, you know, I think there's, I think technology can really help a lot more there, and that kind of ties back to. What do I read about day in, day out about the capability of 
the broad suite of technologies that kind of come under the AI heading could help us do uh, natural language processing, machine learning technologies that could be helping one of our lawyers take a bunch of new information and trying to organize it, you know, structure it, uh, classify it in some way. This stuff here is all about X. This stuff here is all about Y. You know, put it on a timeline, put it on visual mapping, stuff like that. Help them to get under the skin of it. And, and uh, you know, so that instead of looking at 10,000 documents and then thinking, gosh, where do I start? I better start, you know, at document one and go to document 10,000. They could be alerted to the fact that these 500 seem to be pretty important because the first client meeting you had, the topic of X came up. And these 500 documents seem to be about X. I might as well start there, right? You know, I, I've got nothing else to go on, so I might as well start there. Or you know, I was told that, that that Nick West was a key actor. I might as well start with all the documents to focus on Nick West and just searching, just do you know the, the standard methods of of trying to find Nick West and Nick dot West and you know etc. Uh, yeah, there, there are there there are more sophisticated things we could do now using some of these kind of uh, natural language processing techniques um, and text analytics techniques and and twinning that with visualization. So that, that's probably an area that I obsess slightly about. And I have found very little that really excites me uh, uh, in that space. Yeah. Um, and I know- do, do you see people obsessing about things that make you go, eh, I just don't see it, or make you roll your eyes? Do you see people getting super excited about things that are not particularly exciting to you? Well, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, hate to, I'd, hate to, I'd hate to even give the impression that I was somehow – uh, you know, uh, better than they were because I, I don't think it's important that they do. I, I, I mean, I, I start from the principle that, you know, Mishcon has a particular business, right? And there's no point in me getting excited about tools that improve the process of derivatives contracting because we don't do derivatives contracting, right? So there's a lot of that stuff. I really make sure I focus on what are the business, what's the business of Mishcon and, and, and can I find technologies for that? I, I suppose having had a year of, 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 of explosive breakout blockchain stuff, I'm a little overdone on blockchain. Um, and, and I'm very interested in, very interested in the blockchain story. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure we have a technology here that's here to stay DLT blockchain, um, you know, for the long term. here. Uh, what I'm, what I get a little bit frustrated about is, is, we're still at that point in the journey where everyone's asking about what does the technology do? How does it work? Rather than asking uh, what does it mean for us as lawyers and, and how might it change how we practice law or what opportunities are there for us to make money off the back of this thing? Uh, you know, we're, we're at this point, you know, the, the, the way I always explain it is if I, I probably can't properly explain how the internet works. And an awful lot of people who use the internet every day can't explain how the internet works, but no one worries about it, right? If the internet is now an established thing, it doesn't have any real regular regulation. It just works. And, and we've grown to trust it. And, and that was not the case 15 years ago, no, 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago. Uh, you know, the, these things, uh, I'm forgetting how old we all are, right? These things were not, you we were in the Wild West. People were talking about this thing and everyone's going, yeah, I can't really see that being a big deal. Uh, you, know, we are, you know, I'm not the first person to have said this, but we're sort of now with blockchain and DLT where, where that stuff was then. 
And until we start changing the story from what is this thing and how does it work to what are we going to use it for, you know, it's it's all a little boring. And and, uh, and so that's probably an area that I'm finding uh, I'm a little bit overdone with, uh, you know, smart contracts, right? It's going to revolutionize legal practice. And you're like, well, you know, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Um, you know, because there's an awful long way to go, I think, between what I believe is a bunch of code and the, 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 the nuance of a legal contract that may be badly drafted, but it provides for a whole bunch of things that are, uh, intentionally provides for a whole bunch of discretion, right? You know, I, 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 was at a, I was at a conference recently where the coders were all laughing at the fact that a phrase might be, you know, use reasonable endeavors. And the professor said, I don't know what you're laughing at. It's a brilliant thing because reasonable endeavors in 2010 is not the same as reasonable endeavors in 2018. And if your contract lasts for eight years, you've got a construct there that allows you to, allows the contract to evolve over time so that at the moment we have to consider it in 2018, we can apply then reasonable endeavors and the contract works. You try and code that into, you try and code that in 2010. By the time you come to the point in 2018 where you're trying to sue on that, the code, the statement, the exact statement that you had to write into the code in 2010 is going to look ridiculous because, you know, the, 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 the expectations of the market are just completely different. So, you know, don't go laughing at my contract because it's, it, does, it does its job really well. And, and, you know, we're a long way away from being able to, to, to bridge that gap. So I, I think that's an area where I, I, I feel there's an awful lot more of the story yet to unfold. And, and I'm, I'm somewhat bored with the, the, the kind of announcement of all, all sorts of different things that are happening in the blockchain space and how it's going to kind of change the practice of law. So. Yeah, it, it's an important point. And I've actually gotten quite immersed in the blockchain scene recently myself. And on the smart contract side, I think it's very important to properly sort out the things that are reducible to clear binary choices and that can be con- concrete and fixed. Uh, and I appreciate what the professor was saying. When, when you're actually drafting contracts, there's a lot of times when you're deploying, well, there's <laughs> there's a lot of time folks deploy loose language when they shouldn't be because they're taking a shortcut. But there's lots of times when you're deliberately and appropriately building in flexibility that's very much intended, and, and that's the way you're bridging a negotiation gap, for example, or you're choosing to rely on certain background norms and rules that might be enforced by a court or a reasonable jury in the future were something to go wrong in an unexpected way. So it's, it's an important point. One of the other things I wanted to touch on, you brought up a minute ago when you were mentioning that Mishcon has an alternative business structure behind it. I'm always fascinated by the different legal tech markets internationally and their differences. And I had a really interesting chat on this podcast in one of our early episodes with Dan Linna at Michigan State, who put together the Legal Services Innovation Index. And even though it was a very nascent effort, he he observed to me that the concentration of innovation seemed to be a little bit higher in the UK market. To the extent true, I know some people who attribute that to alternative business structures What's your take on, you know, from your perspective on how the legal tech landscape in the UK shapes up against that of the US and other markets such as the Indian market, given your experience with Sukaram, for example? What's your take on how the markets compare to one another and what the drivers are for the changes that you think exist? Yeah, a good question. I'm not I'm not hugely uh, capable of giving a great answer on it. I, I think I think there is. 
you know, the, 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 the Legal Services Act that tried to introduce more innovation into the UK legal market has, I'm not sure it's done a great job, but there's been a, a moderate amount of uh, uh, change as a result. Um, it does help that there are, you know, there, there's definitely a lot less um, protectionism from, uh, you know, in the UK. So the, as I understand it, the US state bars get very vexed by all sorts of things, you know, when, when when rocket when rocket lawyer does this or whatever they all start trying to sue him and you sue them and you're thinking wow really i mean that is clearly not an authorized practice of law it's the provision of some forms for someone to be able to fill some stuff in right and and i think you know deluding yourself that that is why that 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 is that 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 is the fundamental problem with the business model if we believe that what we exist to do is fill in forms then we're all in trouble right you know we're 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 helping our clients deliver outcomes and and as part of that we may have to fill in a form but if the client can fill in the form and themselves uh you know then we've got to be able to add a different layer of value right and 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 so um and you know there's nothing you can there's nothing we can do to stop that because that is just the business model of the internet making information much more freely available and so um so i think there's i think there's something around you know we we have a little more openness um, I think it's probably something to do with the fact that more UK firms are actually more international than just UK uh, by the necessity of the fact that the UK market is just not that big. I mean, the US legal market is 10 times the UK legal market. And so, you know, the, many of the US firms have just been a bit more introspective um, and they've been able to do that. Um, so I, I, I think it's I think some of it's to, to, to do with that. But then, you know, I think I think there's probably also a little bit of the sort of uh, the grass always looks a bit greener, right? Because I look at some of the things um, that are going on in the US. You know, when I, I read the FT innovation kind of publications and think, wow, you know, some of the stuff that's going on in the US around uh, maybe data analytics, particularly focused on litigation. You know, I saw Littler, you know, made another big hire this week. And I just think, yeah, that's cool. Right? That's that. That seems to me to be, you know, way ahead of where the average UK law firm is. Uh, and uh, uh, so, I, you know, I, I think to some degree um, there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, I, I, data is another one of those areas that I obsess about. I have to say, um, you know, I think to uh, I think I think with with good reason. Uh, they're probably it's right up at the top. Data and uh, and user experience, right? I, I, I made that point to some extent before, but I I, I just. I can't get over how bad the user experience of almost everything that we force our lawyers to use is. But I, I you know, so I, I think in terms of innovation, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the real answer is. I think it's some combination of those, of those factors, but let's be honest, right. You know, there is no, there is very little, this is not an innovative industry, right. And there's no question about it. And there's a, an awful lot. Um, there's, there are an awful lot of things that, that, that don't help that, right. You know, it's uh, the, 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 as I said, much of the history. Right? Well, I, I, I lecture at a, a couple of universities here on on law and technology and so on, and I often start those lectures talking about some of the the history of and protectionism. And I mentioned that before, but the protectionism around this industry, right? In the in the UK, it, it wasn't until the eighties that UK law firms were allowed to advertise, um, and and you know prices were fixed uh, on certain types of legal work for uh for for, for decades um you know they could, they were sort of like um price scales 
And and so you know, with with those things, it's it, it's it's not that unexpected. Therefore, that these firms are not necessarily the most sophisticated commercial organisations when they've only really been freely available to to compete in the in a in a true market kind of economy for for forty or fifty years. They're not going to be at the most cutting edge, right? So so you know, it takes these things take a while to flush through, and then add on to that the fact that by and large. Law firm graduates, people who've learned their trade in law firms, then go to become the buyers, uh, and 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 they just perpetuate some of these kind of uh, these kind of problems. Um, and some of that stuff is gradually changing, but but I, you know, and I, I'm I'm a I'm an optimist in this sense, in, in the sense that you know I think the snowball really is kind of building steam here. There really is more change in twenty. 18 than there was in 2015 than there was in 2010 than there was in whatever it is i think i think we're really building some momentum uh you know but i, I think it's going to take us until 2025 or 2030 before we can really look back and go wow that is a, a pretty different industry uh, you know it, it's, it's not this year or next year or whatever it might be so uh you know so i, I you know I, I, whatever however we whether we pick uh the uk or or or, or the us uh, neither of these are particularly innovative markets, and, and everything I see from the rest of the world, there are some really exciting hotspots. You know, I, I like what's going on in in Toronto, and, uh, and and you know the Singaporean government is really getting behind the innovation. They just launched a program today, in fact, called Flip, and a bunch of other places in the world. But uh, but I don't see anyone who's who's further ahead than 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 the US and the UK is. So uh, it's it's not a it's not a, a you know, I don't think we're being uh, outplayed by anyone else in, in the world. Well, unfortunately, it's time for us to wrap up. Nick, one last quick question for you. If listeners have questions about what they've heard here today or MDR Lab or other efforts that you have on, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, just uh, just ping me. Um, uh, my email address is, is is happily out there on our website and uh, and. Uh, uh, and LinkedIn also works well. So very happy for anyone to, uh, to, to, to reach out. Great. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, and thank you listeners for tuning in. Please reach out with questions and comments. You can get us through our blog at blacklinesandbillables.com, by email at podcast at blacklinesandbillables.com. Find us on LinkedIn or Facebook or tweet at us. Our handle is at BNB Legal, at BNB Legal. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. It helps others find and enjoy the podcast. We'll be back again soon with our next episode. Thanks for listening.